reading Psalm 58, I invite your reverent attention to God's uh, word uh, read publicly uh, for us in Psalm 58. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. As you all know, we live in a world uh, that's uh, filled with uh, injustice. Uh, I know that's not a blinding flash of the obvious, but uh, it is something that uh, David will address uh, uh, this morning uh, in the psalm that we have uh, read. And that injustice will continue until the Lord comes. Uh, uh, But David's point is, Uh, In the midst of that injustice, uh, there is a court that is always in session, uh, that always is alert uh, when men practice injustice, uh, and it awakens with uh, terrible ferocity, both really now and, of course, uh, throughout all of eternity. Uh, The form of uh, the psalm uh, is that of a lament psalm. Uh, David uh, is, uh, is angry, uh, and he tells us what he's angry about. But more importantly, uh, it is a petition uh, to this court that I've mentioned, uh, the court of heaven. And he makes a petition to the court, and the court answers him, and because of the answer, he praises God. A remarkable expression of uh, God's grace. Uh, I would like to make an appendage to the psalm by also telling you this morning uh, that you and I have an advocate in that court uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And that advocacy is profoundly important uh, in protecting us from the injustices of life. Uh, Well, the uh, the lament or the complaint of David uh, is uh, for corrupt judges. And in the midst of that lament, David gives us an appeal process of absolute redress. Uh, Occasionally, I I hear some group in America protesting on the streets of some faraway city. Perhaps next week it'll be in Oklahoma City, but they sometimes shout, no justice. A Christian can never say that. Because our court 
is attentive to our pleas and is always open to our pleas. And so David will tell us, yes, there's always injustice. There will be until the Lord comes. But for us, there's always justice. Always justice. Uh, so the lament is, uh, is about corrupt courts. Certainly may apply in America. Certainly to play, it applies to distant lands. Uh, how would you like uh, to be a Christian in North Korea and called into their judicial system? Uh, or Russia or China? Uh, but more and more, uh, it's a reminder that in the midst of uh, injustice, uh, you and I can make a complaint to the court of heaven. And David uh, begins by denouncing wicked judges. Uh, he addresses them in verses 1 and 2, and then he describes them for us uh, in verses 3 to 5. Uh, there is a parallel to this addressing of uh, wicked judges in Psalm 82. So Psalm of Asaph, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of rulers. God is always judging in the midst of corrupt rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked Selah? Selah is part of the Hebrew Bible, a melodic indicator, I think, in which the choir is to raise its voices. But a reminder uh, that God does not take lightly uh, showing partiality uh, to powerful men and women or those who are in favor culturally. Uh, God looks for justice, and when there is injustice, his eyes are open and he is awake to the cry of uh, those who seek access to his court. Now we begin with an interrogation of the judges. Uh, I have been uh, to court rarely in my life. I've never interrogated a judge. In fact, I don't think it ever occurs. He's the one that does the interrogating. But in this case, a righteous king interrogates wicked judges. Uh, do you speak righteousness in silence? I think David is mocking them because they are silent as to righteousness. That is what judges are supposed to uphold, righteousness uh, in terms of civil law. These men, and perhaps women, are transgressing. They're calling from God. So David mocks them. I would never tell you to mock a judge. It's a dangerous thing to do in a courtroom. And so David is engaging with great courage because they are transgressing their calling from God. And all civil rulers, whether Christian or non-Christian, have a calling for God from which he will hold them accountable. And David, in a measure, is engaging in a measure of that. As earthly judges, they are to represent the court of heaven. When they do not, the eyes of God, speaking metaphorically, are open to the cry of those who are mistreated. Uh, in this case, they are silent as to righteousness. Uh, he questions them again. Do you judge uprightly in which uh, all are treated on the same ground? Uh, if you understand the law of God, if you understand the court of heaven, and the reality that the courts of earth are to represent the court of heaven, you understand that there are not innumerable standards of justice. There is but one. And all stand on level ground. 
the rich and the powerful face the same standards of justice as the poor and the needy. Because God, of course, is a just God. These men and women have violated their calling from God. David is calling them to an account. He's teaching us that there is justice in the midst of injustice. Uh, the force of these verbs is universal or repeated action. Every judge makes mistakes. None of them are perfect. But in the case of these justices, their practices, their wicked practices are habitual. They work injustice. Uh, the word in the Hebrew Bible is in the plural. We can't translate it, but it is a reminder that they are multifaceted in breaking the laws of God and in working injustice. Uh, more importantly, in their hearts, uh, they weigh out violence by their hands. So there is wickedness in their hearts, and because of the wickedness in their hearts, their hands uh, bring injustice. Uh, the language makes them inveterate, incorrigible criminals before the Supreme Court of Heaven. Not a charge to be taken lightly. The irony is they are to weigh out uh, justice, but they are, if you will, dirty cops. Uh, confirmation in the text follows uh, as uh, David uh, describes uh, their uh, conduct in the theological language that you and I know is total depravity. Uh, they turn away from the womb, speaking lies. They wander off from birth, meaning that they are lawless. There's profound irony there. Uh, but again, it uh, braces uh, the continual practice uh, respecting uh, the totality of their depravity. And the action, again, is universal. Uh, the implied uh, object of their universal action is truth and justice. The very thing that they're to practice and uphold, they are breaking and violating. Uh, the simile in the text, verse 4, is like a serpent's venom uh, in reference to their words in the courtroom and perhaps even their decisions in the court as they violate uh, justice. Uh, you and I know that poisonous snakes can kill and at a minimum make one violently ill. Consequently, their decisions are destructive. Uh, couch for us in the simile of the poison of a snake. Uh, reminded because the same word is used in terms of the word snake of Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Where is this serpent in court? It should not be, but it's in court. Uh, I'm not saying that the serpent is present in all courts, but they are present in the courts that David is inveighing against. Uh, and he deceives the judges uh, to think that they sit in a vaulted place representing uh, law and justice, but they have perverted their position working injustice, meaning that the snake has them too. The parallel to the serpent is the cobra. The implied uh, comparison in the simile is that the snakes do not hear and therefore they are unresponsive to the outcry of the people. 
so that when human courts fail, uh, and I know all human institutions fail, but not on the level that these men and women are failing, but when they do fail, uh, we have a petitioner that petitions the Supreme Court of Heaven. And that is exactly what we have in verses 6 to 9. The psalmist petitions the court of heaven. Uh, you and I, in terms of the American judicial system, know that we have local courts, we have, we have uh, state courts and federal courts and courts of appeals, uh, but eventually if the decision is pressed onward, it goes to the Supreme Court. You and I have access to a court beyond the Supreme Court, the court of heaven, uh, the court that governs all men and women. Uh, and David petitions that court in verses 6 to 9. It's a court of ultimate redress. Ultimate redress. Uh, doesn't, I think, make immediate application to the American Christian, uh, but again, transport yourself to North Korea or China uh, or Russia, uh, where courts sometimes uh, more so than in America are dirty. Uh, this would be our psalm that we would read. We would appeal to heaven. Uh, the petition is uh, in the form of a very violent uh, imprecation. Uh, Jesus teaches us that we can't uh, pray in such a way. Uh, we, uh, we are told to love our enemies and to uh, pray for those who persecute us. Uh, but nevertheless, my friends, in the violence of these imprecations that we're going to look at momentarily, there is still the reality that this is exactly what God will do to corrupt judges, in fact, even worse. And so the violence of these words is important for us to learn. Uh, it's important for all judges to know that they will give an account to God. Uh, and if they, uh, if they violate uh, their calling from God, whether they know it or not, uh, this in a measure will be their end. Uh, it's interesting to me by way of application that uh, David makes immediate access to this court. I told you a moment ago that uh, uh, I've been to court very few times. Uh, but uh, every time that I've been to court, uh, the access was not very easy. Uh, had to go, had to pay some money. Uh, uh, some cases you have to secure an attorney. You cannot represent your own case. I tried to do that once. A judge caught me, was not very happy with me, but nonetheless, sometimes you try to save a dime here and there. Uh, but, uh, but, but to gain access is uh, not an easy thing, except for a Christian in the court of heaven. And then it's very easy. You simply make a petition. You pray, and God hears, and God listens, and God acts. Again, violent imprecation. There are seven of them. Seven imprecations, meaning that the petition is for complete and total destruction of the corrupt judges. Uh, again, we have probably as good a system as there is in the United States. We should be thankful. Uh, but even if we exhaust our redress in our court system, the court of heaven will always engage to care for its people. The application is that corrupt officials or bosses are accountable to God. Accountable to God. And because of their power and position, they may appear to escape judgment, but they will not. In point of fact, 
The court does not even need to be petitioned uh, because our judge is omnipresent and omniscient. Uh, Psalm 94, uh, verses 8 and 9. Uh, the wicked say, God doesn't know. The psalmist responds by saying, He who planted the ear hears. And he who formed the eye, he sees. I remind you that our judge never sleeps. His justice is always awake. He is always attentive to the cry uh, of those uh, who are the object of injustice. Well, the first uh, imprecation, verse 6, is shatter their teeth with a parallel break the jaws of the young lion. I mean, you can see the violence in the language. The implied comparison uh, in the first line is to predators. Yeah. This is explicit in the lions. And by breaking their teeth, they are rendered harmless. And without teeth, they will eventually die because they cannot uh, eat uh, food. Uh, so the ultimate intent is uh, in their lives, but again, break their teeth. The third imprecation, verse 7, is may they vanish like water flows to low ground. Uh, you and I know that water doesn't like to run uphill. It doesn't like to turn corners. It always seeks low ground. And when it finds low ground, it flows very quickly. The implied comparison speaks to quick removal. In other words, court of heaven, get rid of them. Act quickly. Make them disappear and go away because of their corruption. Next, when they draw the bow to shoot arrows, may the arrowheads be cut off. Uh, the effect is that uh, may their decisions be harmless. Great expression of the sovereignty of God. Uh, men wish to do evil. They pull an arrow. The arrow has an arrowhead on it. They shoot their arrows to do harm. Uh, in the case of the court of heaven, uh, David says, cut uh, the arrowheads off, that their decisions might be harmless. Uh, may they be the like, again, verse 8, the, the snail that melts. Uh, the slime of the snail was uh, presumed to indicate it was uh, melting. Uh, I remind you that uh, the Bible is not a textbook on zoology. Uh, remember when I was a little boy, when we ever found a snail, we went running for the salt. Pour salt all over the snail, and it would writhe in agony and uh, eventually die. In a measure, that's what David is saying, pour salt on them. Uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament reads like wax, which melts, may they be taken away. Uh, reminded of Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, the oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a slift cloud. and It's about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence and the hearts of the Egyptians will melt like wax. He's warning these judges that the day of reckoning is coming. and God will sweep them away, uh, cause their hearts to melt like wax. Uh, the implied comparison is, again, may they be short-lived. May their tenure at court be brief. And may God in his violence remove them to prevent them from doing harm. 
The next imprecation is, may they be like a miscarriage that is untimely and without effect. Again, appeal for removal. May they be untimely, may they be taken away. The seventh is a cooking pot. You gather small branches. In the case of the text, thorns. To start a cooking fire, the content of the pots. Uh, the pot, uh, again, is a figure of speech. He really intends the content of the pot. You put a pot on the fire, you're cooking something. And then he says, may God put the fire out. Uh, it is a request that uh, uh, may their decisions be half-baked, of no use. In our judicial system, may they be overturned before they ever get to the court of heaven, because then utter violence will break out. Uh, for those uh, uh, who sit in courtrooms who are to affect justice, but they do injustice, uh, there is this court will begin to act against those who are unjust. Uh, it's a great, uh, uh, great reminder, of course, to all who uh, have positions in civil government. Police officers, uh, agents of the court, attorneys, judges, mayors, city council men and women. I'll stop there because it's enough, but they have a higher authority that they will give an answer to. And should they transgress the law of God, this is the violence that will fall upon them because while there is always injustice until the coming of the Lord, there is something else. There is always justice. The court of heaven is always affecting redress because of the judge who is omnipresent and omniscient. And that is the lesson of David as he speaks to a corrupt court. You and I have something else from the court of heaven that is profoundly important. And that is that we have an advocate at court who represents us. Uh, we, uh, we cannot secure his services uh, because they're not for sale. Uh, Jesus Christ represents his, uh, his people out of the purity of the majesty of his eternal, infinite love. Uh, you can't write him a check uh, it is not accepted uh, in uh, the grace of God. Uh, in fact, he represented us before we were even born. And he represents us before we were even birthed. He is our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. It's very interesting, uh, if you have occasion, uh, reread uh, Revelation chapter 12. He disbars. He disbars from his court the greatest prosecuting attorney of all time in the devil himself. The devil is kicked out of court uh, because of the work of our advocate. What a profound measure of the grace of our gracious God. He is not, always, not only always affecting ruin upon those who work in justice, uh, but he is always representing his people. He disbars Satan. Uh, the words of the text are violent. He is thrown down to the earth. 
where he goes to persecute the church. Reminding us of the importance of the court of heaven and our advocate at heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I listen to those who march in our streets sometimes cry no justice. I almost feel sorry for them. Uh, you and I have justice every day because of our advocate. And we have one who has argued our case, who has been infinitely, uh, perfectly successful. And the court of heaven is so pleased. Uh, and so he represents us continually, our advocate in heaven. Uh, it's a great reminder of the gospel, is it not? Uh, that yes, we can make redress in civil court system, but uh, we have a greater redress in the Lord Jesus Christ to the highest court of the land, the court of heaven. A court that uh, has no boundary restrictions whatsoever. And our advocacy at, uh, at that court is, uh, is perfect. Uh, he makes redress for us. And I love the uh, picture language of Revelation 12. The devil is kicked out of that court. Uh, he can no longer bring effective prosecution against us uh, because of the work of our advocate. Uh, I say all this to remind you that if you're not a Christian, uh, you're in a bad way. Uh, you sit under the court of heaven. It has uh, many, many causes of liability against you. Flee to the advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, who makes perfect satisfaction against every liability that the law of God brings against us. He cures it all. He makes it right so that we are accepted at the court of heaven and we can enter it through our prayers every day, all of the time, because of the work of our advocate. It is so compelling. It should chase you to Jesus Christ. Because there is no other lawyer that can enter that court and make effective intercession for you. Only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the greatest expression uh, in terms of this psalm, in my mind, of the gospel and all of its purity. There is only one attorney, Christ. He is the only attorney that can go and make petition before God the Father. And God the Father is so pleased with his petition that he always smiles and always grants the requests of our attorney. I would... Uh, I would always encourage you that if you must go before a judge in any court system, get an attorney. But in terms of the gospel, you have one. The greatest, the best, the fullest, the most perfect. And you have him by grace. He will never send you a bill. The grace of God in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin, reconciliation, propitiation, redemption, all of this majesty breaks upon you because of our advocate at court. And so we have a court 
always attentive to our cries. Always, always there's justice for us because of our advocacy in Jesus Christ and the reality that the greatest prosecuting attorney of all time, the devil himself, has been disbarred from the court of heaven. The court is pleased with the work of our advocate, and we are saved. And that causes David, knowing that there is justice in the midst of injustice, uh, to praise God in verses 10 and 11. The righteous will, will rejoice. That's why we can never march on the streets. I'm all for marching if you have to march. Uh, I believe in the First Amendment. Uh, if you have freedom of speech, you want to go march, but never cry no justice because that's not true because of the court of heaven and because of our advocacy in Jesus Christ. Uh, the righteous will rejoice. He sees the vengeance of the Supreme Court. His prayers are answered. Uh, the journey for redress has dirties his feet. Like Peter, John 13, 10. Uh, Lord, give me a bath all over. No, just your feet, buddy. Just your feet. And God will answer in violent retribution. The defendant will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked judges. That's a violent picture. Oh, that every judge in America or every judge all over the world would reckon that someday they would give an account before the Supreme Court of Heaven. The language here, of course, it's figurative, uh, but uh, the defendant will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked judges. Uh, the effect is the vindication of the righteous. That's why we can never say no justice, because God will vindicate us. God will make it right. Uh, God will cure every wrong vented against us by unjust men. And men will say there is recompense on evil, literally fruit, They'll get theirs. God will make it right. And surely, surely, the text ends as David praises the court for hearing and acting on his petition. Surely there's a God who judges on the earth. It's a present participle. Yes, I know God will judge. I know there is a future judgment, but there's judgment now. God is judging now. There's always justice. The court is in session. The judge knows. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, verses 41, 42. By sharpen my flashing sword, and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on all my adversaries. And I will repay those who hate me. And I will make my arrows drunk with the blood. And my sword shall devour all flesh. Uh, with the blood of the slain and the captives. Don't take lightly the warnings of the court of heaven. Again, uh, you and I know that the Bible teaches uh, the importance of civil government, civil authority. Uh, it's the means of God to accomplish uh, justice on the earth. Uh, but when it fails or is corrupted, the final court answers because God is judging on the earth and has a greater judgment yet to come. So a beautiful picture of this, uh, if you turn in your Old Testament to 1 Kings. First uh, Kings chapter 21. It's a story of a corrupt king. His name is Ahab. First uh, Kings 21. 
Ahab is pouting because uh, he wants someone else's land, the vineyard of Naboth. His wife sees, his pout, sees him pouting and says, what are you pouting about? You're the king. What do you want? He tells his uh, wife and uh, she gets it to him. She has uh, Naboth uh, framed by wicked witnesses uh, and has him uh, stoned and put to death. That's terrible. But what's the real question? Where is God? First uh, Kings 21, verses 16 to 19. came about when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab the king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick up your blood, even yours. I love the text. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, Arise. Go meet the king. Tell him the court has answered his evil actions. Turn to chapter 22, verse 34. Ahab goes to, goes to battle. Now you and I know that kings are never on the front lines. They're always way back. But a nameless, aimless archer strings his bow, gets an arrow, shoots an arrow in the air, and just by chance, it strikes Ahab at a vulnerable place in his armor and fatally wounds him. Verse 34, now a certain man drew his bow at random. That's, of course, uh, hyperbole. There's no randomness in God's universe. There is no chance in God's universe. Drew his bow at random, the king of Israel, and struck the king of Israel in the joint of the armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. And now verses 37 and 38. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs lipped up his blood. Now the harlots bathed themselves there according to the word of the Lord which he spoke. God spoke. Judgment was effected against the king. He died in just the way that God said he would die. I'm reminded of, uh, of the introduction to the Psalter. Psalm 1 verse 4. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. There is justice. There's always justice because there is God. Again, uh, the other conclu concluding uh, chapter to the uh, introduction to the Psalter, uh, 
Uh, Psalm 2 is an invitation uh, to all. Do homage to the Son, lest He become angry and you perish, and you perish in the way of your wickedness. Uh, uh, so again, uh, the answer of the court. Uh, because there is a God, because there is the Word of God that makes things happen, there's always justice. Always justice. Always redress. In the greatest court that always sits, the court of heaven. Uh, but it's not just uh, the ultimate response of the court of heaven. It is, again, as I've suggested, uh, the advocacy that you and I uh, have at that court. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Old Testament, uh, because I want to describe our advocate, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, in verses uh, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Uh, the immediate context is darkness and God will bring light. We know that that's fulfilled in the earthly presentation of Christ because Luke tells us so in Luke chapter 1, verse 79. And then we shift rapidly from child to son and then to a king. And Isaiah names the king in four compound names. The first is wonderful, wonderful counselor. He needs no counselor. Second, mighty God. The word mighty is that of the warrior who is victorious in battle. Third, eternal father, I translate it, father of booty, and that he distributes the spoils of battle to those whom he loves. And lastly, prince of peace, he makes us whole. So never say, my friend, as a Christian, there is no justice. Because of our advocate at court who makes us whole. I suspect all of us as Christians have been wrong. You know what? God will make it right. Isaiah closes with the zeal or the jealousy of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. It seals the success, meaning that there is always justice to those represented by this advocate. The gospel is our immediate answer to corrupt judges, and the final answer is when he comes again to govern visibly and to deal out retribution finally and totally and absolutely. And he will vindicate us in all of our wrongs. Maybe someday we ought to go on the streets and shout, there is justice because there is the word of the Lord, because there is God. Celebrate, praise God for the majesty of what he means to us. And may this hold us until that great and glorious day.